Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Andrew Stamper is joining us to continue our best film series. Today we'll be tackling Groundhog Day. (laughs) So be prepared to smash your alarm clock as many times as you like, as long as it's not your phone, I guess. So Andrew, thanks for joining me. This is your number three film, right? Yes, yes. My number three, Groundhog Day. Thank you again for having me. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was thinking about, too, uh, what we should do is we should continue to do these, I think. Okay. Um, beyond, I think we should just, like, bounce back and forth in a similar fashion on just movies that are we're kind of interested in that maybe not not in our top five or just, just kind of significant films that maybe interest us or there's, like, a particular piece of it, whether oh. it be the filmmaking or the philosophy behind it that stands out yeah definitely that sounds awesome i was just thinking about that today because i know there's a no i know we had kind of talked about like robocop and some other films yeah like that would be good um that'd be fun just to go back and revisit robocop i haven't seen that one in a long time and i remember loving it as a kid i know that they did like a like a like a reboot yeah i didn't see the reboot yeah i'm just one in doubt don't see the reboots (laughs) i I feel it's a good philosophy that's probably a good safe bet to make so but let's jump into Groundhog Day, and we'll go ahead and start out by giving a brief summary of the film for those who haven't seen it by now, which you should be ashamed of yourself if you have not. This is, I think, one of the best, or one of the most rewatchable films, ironically, mm-hmm. given the, right. the nature of the storytelling. But uh, So what we have is a we have Bill Murray starring as Phil Connors, a weatherman in, I'm guessing, Pittsburgh? Yep, yep, local weatherman Phil Connors. So he, him, Chris Elliott as our lovable cameraman, <laughs> and our leading lady, Andy McDowell, as the producer, all travel to Punxsutawney, PA, to witness, or I guess they're going to do a live shoot of the actual groundhog ceremony where the groundhog comes out and if he sees a shadow then it's what six six weeks of winter Mm -hmm. or if he doesn't then it's it's an early early spring spring. yeah right so i guess it's kind of important to describe the kind of person that phil connors is i mean it's the typical i would say bill murray very snarky uh sarcastic kind of a wise ass (laughs) yeah i think this one is probably bill murray at his bill murray right i I would agree yeah, so, um, but I mean, that's the, the the nuts and bolts, right? You've got this arrogant uh, wet local weatherman from Pittsburgh that is tasked to to cover the the annual um, groundhog ceremony in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and this is like his fourth or fifth time doing it, and he's just a, he's Bill Murray, you know, so he's cocky, arrogant, jaded, um, and so he's tasked to cover the, the, the ceremony and brings with him his, his producer and... Uh, uh, the new camera guy and hilarity ensues, I guess as we can, uh, I mean, do you want me to go ahead and do the breakdown? Or sure. You, okay. If you don't mind, this is your, sure. Your film, so, so I'll let you roll with it. Yeah. So we, we, we understand what the, the idea is before, you know, what I just kind of said and what Cooper just said is essentially this, this egotistical jerk, uh, weatherman, uh, brings his crew to cover the, cover the events. And, there's a there's a blizzard incoming, and so they kind of get trapped in in Punxsutawney, and kind of discover a little bit of 
you know, what, uh, who lives, who inhabits this town or whatnot. But what ultimately happens for Phil is he's forced to live in this loop where every morning he wakes up, it is Groundhog Day all over again. So the same conversations, the same people, just in a, in a never ending loop. And this continues to go on and on and on throughout the movie. And as the movie progresses, you see different different things where Bill Murray obsesses on, whether he's trying to try to um, find a relationship with his producer Rita, or if he is trying to just be like very hedonistic, um, breaking laws, uh, cramming his food with uh, you know his mouth with with food. He essentially can be he can he lives on forever because every morning he wakes up, it's the same day over and over again, and see only he's the only person that recognizes this that it's just a perpetual loop for him and. I don't know, do we do spoilers? I guess in this case, you, you probably have seen Groundhog Day. I mean, it's been around for 25 years. And if you haven't, I mean, let's yeah, get on that. Right. Let's go ahead and fix it. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, this is a movie that is on cable, you know, TNT or TBS, or if not one of the premium movie channels. Mm-hmm. It seems like almost, it's kind of a mainstay, I think. Yep. So he's just forced to live in this in this loop for seemingly for years and years and years. I think uh, anywhere from ten years to a thousand years, I guess, is what you know the estimates are, just depending on who you talk to. And it's not until he finally loses his ego and finally um, becomes more of a selfless person when he actually and when he finally stops trying to chase Rita that he's able to finally move on to the the day after Groundhog Day. And th- I mean there there's so many uh so many themes that you can really tackle with this movie, but the the nuts and bolts of it is bad, you know, jerk weatherman forced to live in the same uh same day over and over again until he finally learns the air of his ways and becomes a good person and then thus ending his forever loop. And I think it's funny or maybe an important point to make that this is all punctuated by the repetition of his alarm clock going off at 6 a.m. Uh, Sunny and Cher. What's the song? I've Got, I've got you, you, Babe. babe. And the obnoxious, uh, I guess, local Punk Santani radio mm-hmm. broadcaster. It's cold out there. Don't forget your booties. Groundhog Day. Yeah. And a series of very annoying, annoying people. <laughs> right. But uh, it, it, it starts with every morning with hearing that song and then with your local like rush hour uh local radio like talk radio which is terrible (laughs) so i'd actually i think like to start out this conversation a little bit differently in what we jump off topic with topic wise because i feel like for instance editing for example i there's not i mean the editing in this film doesn't really call a lot of attention to itself it pretty much is is fairly standard. There's not a lot of artistic um, license taken there, it, but it serves the film well, I think. And maybe that's an important just filmmaking point to make is, you know, you don't always need to have some really sophisticated editing like a Christopher Nolan film to make a successful Hollywood film or to make, you know, to make a compelling film in general. It's all about the service of the story and what fits with that particular world. So... Um, I guess in terms of editing, really the only question I have or topic that I want to broach is how many times did they have to reshoot 
these fucking scenes. That's just it. They did. They had to reshoot it and they would go back and do it all over again. They had everything like timed. Uh, so I don't know how many times, for example, the, the, the Ned Ryerson scenes every time, you know, they, I don't know how many times they, they, they actually film that, but, um, yeah. And it, it's incredible. Just some of these scenes that are essentially, you you see good like five ten ten times the same exact scene just with slightly different variations on whatever Phil Connors is experiencing at that moment. So from a technical standpoint, it's really impressive because I mean, yeah, I mean, on the surface, the movie is pretty pretty simple when you look at the the way that it's filmed. It doesn't look uh, inventive or uh, completely unique. It it, it, it it's it has a look and feel of just a regular old film. Yeah, pretty um, standard Hollywood Yep, style. exactly. But, um, yeah, so that was one thing that stood out was, yeah, how many times are we shooting these scenes? I mean, typically within a standard Hollywood film, you're reshoot, you know, you're doing take after take in some cases. But this one, we're, we're actually having to recreate the same, like, what kind of a strain was that on the production? You know, mm. I'm kind of interested. I'd like to, of course, sadly... Harold Ramis, who directed this film, has passed away since. But I just, I'd love to know, you know, what that was like. Because I did hear that the production was a little contentious and Bill Murray was actually undergoing a divorce at this time. Yeah. And this film act- production actually led to kind of a falling out with Ramis and Bill Murray, who, of course, I guess we should maybe understand have the audience understand who Harold Ramis is. Obviously, uh, Egon Egon Spangler, Mm -hmm. most famously from Ghostbusters, but he also directed a number of films, Caddyshack, Multiplicity, one of the the vacation films Mm -hmm. with Chevy Chase. And there's definitely several others... um, that I won't go into, but just to give you an idea. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if he directed Stripes, but he appeared alongside Bill Murray in that one as well. So actor, director, Harold Ramis. Yeah. And he has a small cameo in, in this film, but yeah, they're, it, it's kind of sad because they, they didn't speak for like 15, 20 years or something, you know, or at least that's what the, how the legend goes that they right. had kind of that falling out. And shortly before Harold passed, he and his brother, uh, you know, Saul Harold, and I think they, you know, had their bygones, but yeah. So moving on to cinematography, unless you had an editing point or production point that you wanted to, I mean, I, I think that the use of montage, I mean, those uh, can okay. always be, uh, very cliche like, but the use of it was pretty good just to show the, the, the the tediousness or the monotony of right. just at, like That's on, true. with the you know with the clocks and you know like crushing the clock breaking the clock you know um, and then with the slow roll to uh, from five fifty nine a.m. to six a.m. and then boom um, so there 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 are neat shots in it um, one of my favorite scenes in the film and I don't know if, if we're we're gonna get into get into that or if this is really an editing note. But I just love watching Bill Murray stuff the like the pastries in like that was a good yeah that was a nice physical yeah and he ate all according to Andy McDowell like he ate everything like like yeah he he was was, offered a spit can or bucket or something like that actually did I I I actually heard he did get physically ill from eating so much but yeah how many takes ah, that that's something I'm always curious about I've never been on a set where 
there's eating or drinking taking place, right. take place. So how does that work, you know? Mm-hmm. But that, that's really the, the the final note that I would have from like the the editing standpoint. So I, I liked the the use of montage in the sense where sometimes it can be yeah. kind of takes you out of the film. This right. one I think complemented it like very a rocky well. training montage, yeah, or something like that. yeah, that gets overused. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of cinematography, I think one of the shots that I really like, I think there was a really tight close up, either a very very extreme close up, or they had the giant. Like the numbers, the way that that particular style of alarm clock worked, mm-hmm. the numbers actually fall down physically. Yeah. And there was a really, like, is it extreme close up or they had a giant clock made? And I thought it was really cool. It looked interesting. It was nice too that the, the numbers themselves actually, so like the little cards that they were on actually had a little, mm-hmm. like, there were specks of dust and things like that that just gave it a more realistic feel. And I thought it was just kind of a cool, cool shot. Other than that, there's only one other standout shot for me, and that was whenever he makes the initial attempt, or no, maybe not the initial attempt to kill himself, but whenever he's at the top of the tower and he just falls off very like gracefully. Oh, when he just kind of like uh just kind of Yeah, he just kinda of leans forward. Yeah, and it's not really even over. like a jump. It, it, it just, yeah, he just yeah. falls off. Yep, and then you have Chris Elliott, who's like, said, really nice guy. <laughs> I liked him, really, a, a lot. <laughs> Chris Elliott was brilliant, but we'll talk about actors in a second. Um, I thought it was, this is random too, this is not really cinematography-based, but I thought it was really funny if you go back and you watch the very first morning whenever he, I would say, makes his transition to being nice to people, mm-hmm. and he brings donuts out to the actual ceremony mm-hmm. he, the shot uh there's a shot of people dancing on the gazebo and there's one guy in particular that just is doing some really bad like I, I don't even know what to say describe it as maybe like white people dancing it's definitely some bad bad dance moves yeah i mean these were these were like local extras right so i mean you're getting and i think they filmed this in woodstock illinois yeah that's what uh, i read as well so yeah i mean yeah you're getting some some really like Midwestern hicks. <laughs> <laughs> Any other shots that really kind of stand out for you? Um, in the from a technical standpoint, nothing off the top of my head. I mean, I I I I love. I mean, I love the look of the film. I I like that you know they they filmed the, the bulk of this on location. I think that was great. Yeah, that's true. Um. I would have liked to, you know, uh, having gone to grad school in Pittsburgh, I would have loved a little bit of more actual Pittsburgh. But I mean, the only thing you see Pittsburgh is them leaving Pittsburgh. Um, but was that was that legit Pittsburgh? I was curious. I I couldn't quite make it out. Yeah. So when they're leaving, it looked somewhat. Yeah. Well, I think. Um, I mean, it was it? dated. I mean, you're looking at that's like 1993. Pittsburgh right. looks entirely different. But the and then the. Um, they're as they were driving and you know along the like the small roads and you see the homes i'm pretty sure that was like ohio i don't think that was um i mean it could have been like the the hill country part of you know pittsburgh pittsburgh is very hilly as well but the only thing is you just get that establishing shot of of the skyline you know uh, of pittsburgh like hey this is where we're at but we're we're leaving it so and you could see i guess that was old the old three river stadium 
that they had from like an aerial perspective. Damn, I didn't I didn't even catch that. Um, I did kind of like I don't know this maybe fits into sort of the writing too, but I did enjoy the stare down. So when he Bill Murray steals the or kidnaps whatever <laughs> oh, kidnaps <laughs> when he kidnaps like the, the actual <laughs> when he kidnaps the actual groundhog and is sort of playing chicken with um chris elliott the cameraman and then mm-hmm. the producer and then like the main his um, brother his brother actually the yeah. brian Dole master Murray. of ceremonies yeah. i guess we'll call him before the whole uh, ceremony so he drives off the cliff and then f- so the truck flips over and lands on its top and it's smashed and chris elliott's like oh he he might be okay <laughs> and then it blows up pretty um explosively it will say haha yeah that's where all the uh the effects went for that film <laughs> right know? yeah just for that one shot just to drop you know uh drive a truck off of a uh like a ravine or something like that and then have it blow up mm-hmm so the it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I did look up the budget on this film was like just under fifteen million, according to IMDb, and it hauled in something like seventy something, seventy plus million. It's profitable, and who knows how much you know, whatever I don't know. And now, like in syndication, like syndication yeah, or whatever. Exactly. God, yeah. like like I said, they, this movie's on all the fucking all the time. time. Yeah. So, and it's one of those occurrences where I mean, um, it, it's a good movie that's on all the time, right? Luckily, but I, uh, I guess that, that about wraps it up for cinematography. Like I I think said, this so. is pretty unremarkable, but I think served the story well, mm-hmm. ultimately is kind of what I can ultimately, I guess, stamp this in terms of, uh, the look of the film. Yep. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into acting. And I think this is Bill Murray, like you said earlier at his sardonic best. Mm-hmm. I mean, just... Just vintage Bill Murray, just, I think, probably ultimately leading to, you know, the later iterations of this sort of similar character. But I don't know. I I just came up with a thought that was like, I don't know. Is it, is it, it's either this or Peter Venkman to me that is the quintessential Bill Murray. Yeah. And it, it's, I guess it really can depend on who you talk to, you know? I mean, they're both iconic characters, you know? And, for me, I, I feel the emotional arc that Bill Murray goes through in this one That's is true. why I feel it's right. more superior. Okay. But that being said, Dr. Peter Venkman is still one of my favorite favorite characters, Bill, Mo- Bill Murray or whoever. Uh, I, it's so great. I mean, just the, the quotability of the lines that, uh, that Bill Murray had in that film. Uh, Ghostbusters could easily have also been on my list. But for for just the overall, like, like I said, performance yes. of Bill Murray and the, the, the emotional weight that he has in this film. That's why I rank this one. That's a good point. I have this one. And then I think I have got, uh, what was it? Uh, shoot. I always forget the name of it, but I want to call it broken flowers, uh, which was a Jim Jarmusch, uh, film I think is probably my second favorite Bill Murray performance. And that's a really, really good, a modern film. But if we're talking like the, the, the classic Bill Murray, it's this and Peter Menkman. Oh, there's something else that he did. Oh, I I loved him in Rushmore. Rushmore. Well. I mean, his what whatever he's done with Wes Anderson has been just great. And Bill Murray. I mean, it it's so funny because of the fact that I mean, you can just put a Bill Murray film in a hat and pull one out, and you're like, oh god, he was right. great in that. That's Everything true. that he does, he's he's so great. And 
what I love is, uh, you know, with this one, he kind of deflects his performance in this one and really credits like the screenwriter. But from what I've read, a lot of what Bill Murray does, and this film was no different, is he he improvs, you know, and goes off, you know, goes off script and uh, ad libs a lot of things. But he he credits uh, Danny Rubin, the screenwriter, for really making this movie what it is. It's, it wasn't necessarily his performance. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's probably a common theme with, because for something like uh, Caddyshack, for example, I know that they were, he was doing a lot of improv as Carl, the groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. And of course, Ramis directed that as well. So I'm sure there was like some element of that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, Bill Murray was, you know, on SNL. So uh, the whole idea I, I, I mean, he's just a classic improvisational, you know, style actor. But this this particular performance, I think, yeah, uh, just to go ahead and bring it on back. I think this is for me. This is his his peak. Do you think he was? Do you think he's maybe like is he Oscar worthy? Would you say overall or in this film? In the, in this film? In this film, absolutely. I think, and comedies are when it comes when it comes to the Academy and when it comes to a lot of award ceremonies, uh, comedic performances rarely get recognized. I mean, they you usually see the, the the dramas or the suspense type films that are the ones that are that are recognized certainly by the by the by the Academy. So, but as far as I'm concerned, this. This was definitely, and I'd, I'd have to double check and find out what else was happening in '93. Right. I don't know if that was the year that Philadelphia kind of like cleaned house or not, but I, don't, I, I'd never even really, I, I don't even know if if he was nominated. Probably, not. I would doubt um, it. I mean, I think you might see that. I think the Academy is a little bit less stringent now. But yeah. I think back then it was definitely would yeah. be unheard of for anyone, mm-hmm. even someone like Heath Ledger to win a supporting in a comic book action right. movie would be right, right, right. kind of unheard of at, at sort of at that stage of, but the, yeah, I, I think this is one of the things that gets lost is the fact that you, because this was the height of Bill Murray, Bill Murray era, you know? So I, I think a lot of people, when they, 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 they just see kind of see Bill Murray but to at this point, I don't know if he had ever had a movie where he had this type of arc from such an extreme high to an, such an extreme low, um, and all the many emotions in between, and then still being able to carry that along the yeah. way. Because he had that too. He had those moments of, but like he was his range really was on full display because mm-hmm. he was not only making the wise cracks. Because I mean, I've seen this movie so many times, and I definitely. I laughed out loud, and this is no shit. Probably the fiftieth time I've mm-hmm. seen the movie, and there were at least five or six times that I laughed out loud yeah. during yeah, the film. It, it's so good. Uh, I mean, so for me, his overall performance, without a doubt, I think it's definitely it would put him. If they were to go ahead and redo like the 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 nineteen ninety three Academy Awards, I think he would certainly at least be nominated. I think he, that this performance is pro- probably in the top five performances of that year. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I couldn't imagine anyone else pulling it off so well because I know that I read that Tom Hanks was offered the role, Chevy Chase. I feel like there was another prominent SNL character, maybe mm-hmm. not Dan Aykroyd, but someone. And they were like, "No, these these people are too nice. There's no way this would work. It would it will only work with Bill Murray." And mm-hmm. obviously, they were right. 
Oh, it was a Travolta or something like that. It was yeah, and then he ended up doing what Michael a few years <laughs> after this, right? Um, With Andy McDowell. Yeah, um, but yeah, I can't, I can't see a different, a different actor. But I mean, I think there are just certain characters that are so, like, yes, this, this, this performance is perfect. This actor is perfect, uh, perfect for this role. Like, just even like kind of like flip it around and bring it back to Bill Murray. I think Bill Murray was offered the role as, um, uh, shoot, I forget, completely forgot his name. But Billy Bob Thornton's character in Bad Santa that apparently like um, <laughs> Bill Murray was offered that role. And when I think of Billy Bob Thornton, I, I think Bad Santa right. as like his perfect role, uh, just with all the, the, the profanity that uh, Billy Bob yeah. Thornton uses in that movie. But damn, I want to see that movie with Bill Murray. Now I do that you too. But I'm I, so curious. But like I, it was a different. It'd be a different movie, it would. sort it, of. But it would so, still be hilarious. I think. I don't know if I've ever really seen Bill Murray drop like f bombs. Yeah, I, I don't I know. I can't think of that either. You're, you know, that's a good point. Actually, um, it would be it would be an interesting film, but I think it would be entirely different. Yeah. But so yeah, when I when I go back to Phil Connors, I mean, there's only one Phil Connors, and it, it certainly isn't Chevy Chase. And no disrespect to Tom Hanks, who I, who I think can do just about anything, but Phil Connors is Bill Murray. Absolutely, I agree. Anything else to say? Is there kind of a maybe a moment that really stands out? Every every moment that he's on camera stands out. <laughs> I mean, it does giving matter. sort of like at the actual ceremony where they're bringing out the those are always pretty well done. Yeah, just. It, Oh God! I mean, it doesn't matter if he if he was leaving the house and meant you know ran into the annoying guy that was also staying at the B and B to his conversations with Stephen Tobolowski or um, being you know at the um, at the little ceremony thing at the end where he's playing the piano and everything. Every moment that he's on camera, it's just like stop what you're doing and watch a master at work because he, he's brilliant. So hard to do, like the t- the comedic timing, the I don't, the facial expressions, mm-hmm. the emoting he does is just yeah, it's superb. Yeah, and uh, shout out to him for you know having one of the worst co stars ever in that in that Groundhog that <laughs> bit went, him twice, bit him, bit him twice. Uh, so let's see our our female lead in the film is Andy McDowell, which I'm trying to figure out how the hell did Andy McDowell even have a career (laughs) not to like totally shit on her too poor like i don't have a like a a vendetta against her but it just in the context of today's hollywood it's it's really baffling to me that this woman because she's not really that i mean she's not terrible but she's not that talented and she's kind of one-dimensional in this film you know well yeah um the and that's just it. It's like, is this a problem with the character of Rita, or is it a problem with the, you know the the acting of Andy? Yeah, Dow? that's true. You know, and I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really and I and I don't have anything against Andy McDowell. She seems like a, a nice enough human being. I don't think she's a terrible actress, but I also don't think she's kind of she's kind of typecast to be honest. I yeah. feel like even sexualized in videotape, she's not. I mean, she's a little bit edgier mm-hmm. there, but uh, what was she also multiplicity? Yeah. Uh, was, was she also in Green Card? Uh, I mean, I've j- she's just been in a ton of movies, and I've always come out like, Meh. you know, I, I feel anybody could have played that role. Yeah. Um, and I don't. That's just I don't think there was anything specific that she brought 
to the character other other than kind of like a form of like tenderness and kind of like naive, you know, but is that the, the role of Rita or is that, you know, Andy McDowell's acting chops, you know? Um, I feel bad because I, I think from all like she still has a career and it looks like she's gotten better as the years have gone on. Um, but it, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how to, how to like critique the character of Rita because it, because I go back to Andy McDowell and I don't, I, again, I, 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 I'm just trying to choose my words carefully, but I don't dislike her and I don't yeah. think she's a bad actress, but I also don't think that she, I don't think she's memorable. Um, other than the fact that it's Andy McDowell and she's so, so memorably unremarkable. <laughs> right. Um, and sorry, Andy. Um, but yeah, I just think it's interesting that she became a star, and that like only in the '90s would this have happened. You right? Know what I mean, like yeah. this. There's no way they would have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the vest that she wore and, and things like that. Oh well, the that her, vest. Uh, oh yeah, my her, god. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I, I love her hair. Uh, I love the you know the, the the curly locks and everything, the wavy hair and everything. But yeah, like her her attire, not yeah. Fashion. Some hardcore 90s, like, mom. Yeah. Mom chic. Yeah. I mean, Larry, the the camera guy, had some pretty terrible clothes, too, so I'm not going to... Yeah, that's true. I'm not going to totally bash on her. But I am curious to know what this film would, you know, uh, what this film would have been with a stronger actress, you know, with a, with a stronger, you know, leading actress of, of that era. Um, I mean, if you put in that context in 93, you're... Your go-to, I mean, you, you had Andy McDowell and you had Meg Ryan at that point, right? I mean, at in in that in that time frame, um, because you you if you would have had a Julia Roberts, she would have been too young, and I I I don't yeah I mean you know Hollywood at that time I think there there were there were I mean there was just really like a handful or so actresses that would have been able to play that role at that time. She she I will give her a shout out because. I don't know if you're familiar with who Margaret Qualley is, the actress, but no. she was in The Leftovers. Um, I'm trying to think what else she was in. Death Note. I don't know. She, um, I know The I Leftovers. Was, who was she in Leftovers? She was the she was the daughter. She was um, what's the oh, daughter? Okay, yep, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, Kevin's daughter. She was Garvey. I forget her. What is it? Not Meg, but something like that. But uh, yeah, kind of have an affinity for her. Won't lie. Okay. <laughs> so shout out to Andy for uh, doing her thing, having a lovely daughter. Oh, that's I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Wild. Uh, I like her. She she looks angry a lot. Um, at least very on brooding. Yeah, yeah, very brooding. Well, that's, that's a very brooding show. For yeah. Sure. No kidding. I still need to finish season three. But anyway, yeah, you need to get on that. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I very love season. I love season one. I thought season two was okay. Uh, but I'm really curious to finish up season three or actually really yeah, get beyond the, the first episode of season three. I'll get there. So we're done shooting on Andy McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> now uh, we're going to go back up to Chris Elliott. <laughs> Chris Elliott. Yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, Chris Elliott is the, the perfect. Oh, the, he was, yes, the perfect he was loser. perfect for this role. Definitely. Yeah. 
Did you ever did you ever see or did you know of his uh, show that he had in the late eighties, early uh, what was it? Get a Life, I think. I'm pretty sure it was Get a Life. It was on Fox for sure. I yeah, definitely, absolutely. It, That's the that and the Abyss are the two. Thi- well, and CB4 actually. Those are the <laughs> and well, I'm lying to you. It's Wait, actually CB4, there's a lot. Was CB4 the one with Chris Rock? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, but also, I think the most recent thing would be there's something about Mary. Oh yeah, well. those roles. Oh, I mean, all all of those kind of stand out. It's <laughs> these sort of bit roles, which is just kind of interesting. Woogie, <laughs> exactly. Ah oh, man, Chris Elliott's so great. Um, and I think it was all leading, like everything that he did in the movie was kind of like whatever, you know. But it was all for that moment where he gets shit on um, at the at the auction. Where he goes up there, like, all right, ladies, check it's my me turn. Out. He's yeah. like, yeah, and he's got a horrible sweater on, <laughs> and is kind of like uh, his belly is kind of overhanging, and like the the band is playing kind of like a little, um, a little boom, 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 <laughs> like like trying to get people in the mood. Yeah, and, and he's kind of dancing around. Yeah, gyrating. And he's just so Chris Elliott, and then he goes for twenty five cents to a couple old women. I. Th- it was either that moment or the one where he's trying to hit on, I forget her name, Nancy. Nancy? Yes. At the bar. Nancy like he's, Taylor? Who's buying her a drink. And yeah, it's funny too, because the bartender kind of like, he had previously done the same thing in a scene with Bill Murray where yep. he kind of like rolls his eyes as he's like serving them drinks. He does the same thing as he's trying to kind of make his moves so, on and, Nancy. Yeah. And that's the scene I watch and I'm like did they use that actor uh, to shoot that same look more than one time or is, oh, right? it, yeah, or is it just like <laughs> like they're like alright we got it we'll use this like four different times in the film you know Cause we'll save time he we'll save days yeah he didn't say anything I don't think so I mean yeah. he's like just a glorified extra so it's like I don't know if they brought him back for multiple shoots um, but then he takes the tip <laughs> you know he's like oh let me just go ahead and leave a tip uh, uh, we're talking about Chris Elliott and then again. he takes yeah he takes more money as he leaves <laughs> That was great. But yeah, pretty solid little supporting role for him. I think Mm -hmm, that really kind of like helped round out the film a little bit. Um, But I'm I'm wondering which direction should I go in next because there's the incomparable Brian eh, Brian Doyle Murray, who I fucking love. That guy's so great. His Mm -hmm. voice, the the gravelly voice is Mm -hmm. just the best. The best. Yeah. Brian Doyle Murray's voice is so great, and Brian Doyle Murray in general is is fantastic. I almost feel he was a little underused in this film, but he had he had a couple a couple nice moments. Let's see. Just I'm just thinking like so many great roles that he's had in. Oh, for me, Brian Doyle, Caddyshack, Caddyshack, of course, was a great one. Yeah, but come on, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh-huh, the boss, yeah. he's the boss. That's right. Get me somebody. Think about that. Anybody. And give me somebody while I'm waiting. But damn it, there's something, there's one that escapes me. Uh, it's something a little bit later on. Uh, oh, well. Oh, no, he was, it was uh, Wayne's World. Oh, he yeah. Was, uh, uh, Noah's Ar- he yeah, was the Noah's Arcade. Noah's Arcade. Yeah, this man. Uh, this man has no, has no <laughs> dick or something like that. Or uh, a sphincter says what? Yeah, a sphincter says, I think we, we just went ahead and mixed uh, Ghostbusters in there with this man has no. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that's right. Um, I did, that's funny. This man has no penis. Maybe yeah. That was, was that was from Ghostbusters. Um, but yeah, like Wayne's World was like he has some. He he has nothing. And then like the next one was like I have proof or something. Right. <laughs> I think. Yeah. But yeah, Noah's Arcade loved it. But yeah, Wayne's I, World, great actor. 
Let's see who else uh, oh, we have. Come on. Are you saving the best for last? I'm, or I'm saving my favorite. I can't even. Don't even know if I can pronounce this right. But Rick. Oh, Rick Ducumin. Rick Ducumin. Oh, nice. Saving me there, bro. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He's uh, in one of my favorite movies, which we will definitely do a podcast uh, for this one, just because it's so bad yet so awesome, and I love talking about it. Uh, the movie The Burbs. That's a good one. I think that would be a fun one to do because Bruce Dern. Yeah. Is such a yeah lovable <laughs> asshole arms dealer. Yeah. yeah, he's hilarious. Um, but yeah, Rick Ducumin, uh loved uh loved his two or three minutes that he had in this film. Uh, R.I.P. to him. He, I know, know. Yeah, two years ago he passed. Yeah. But uh, God, he was so great. He was like, we could we could do whatever we want yeah. whenever they're driving down or he's in the car in some type of Cadillac. Yeah. I know, didn't catch what year model that was, but like some kind of like 87 Eldorado or something. Yeah, and uh, friends don't let friends drive. And then he hops behind the wheel, <laughs> takes it in reverse, and then comes back and he's like, yeah, I shouldn't be driving. That guy's just great. He's It feels like he's just himself mm-hmm. in almost every role, but it's just, it's great comedy relief. Something about that guy just makes me laugh. Yeah, I, I, again, I think he's got a great voice. I don't know if it's if it's if he's from like Chicago or yeah, if he's, he's from he's Canada. definitely got that Midwest yeah. kind of like oh, Wisconsin kind yeah, of dialect. Exactly. Yeah. It just again just it's so fan. endearing, you know? Yeah. God, he, he's so great. Uh and this is a perfect role because he just plays a drunken <laughs> slob, right? And it's a pretty good scene where Phil is kind of going they're in the diner and he's trying to let uh Andy McDowell know you like I he's given the background story and like mm-hmm. every partisan in the diner and he does it for him. And he's something like, uh, yeah, he got out of the Navy, but he always regretted it. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I could have retired on half salary. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then if you still don't believe me, five seconds, you know, someone's going to, or, uh, no, um, about five seconds of what you call it's going to fall like the, the, the plates. And then you hear him in the background, like, Hey, you know, good job. You know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun stuff. Yeah. We're too common. Awesome. Uh, we already mentioned the Harold Ramis mm-hmm. cameo as the doctor, kind of unremarkable, but he does show up. Mm-hmm. But you know what's really funny? I n- had never realized this until yesterday, and I've, like I said, I've seen this movie probably 50 times, is that, uh, what's his name? Michael Shannon. Yeah. This Michael is, fucking Shannon. Yeah, Michael Shannon. This. this is his first movie. He was like <laughs> 19 or something like that. Yeah. It was crazy to see Michael Shannon as a young man. Yeah, it's it's almost more terrifying than <laughs> Michael Shannon today. What happened to you, Michael Shannon? Because he just looks he looks so young. Yeah, he was young. He was innocent. You know, he still has that. He had a gleam in his eye, but he still had that giant like that that giant like grin. You know, like just big, just big dude. He wasn't quite so disturbingly ugly. <laughs> Like I said, it's almost like more terrifying to see him younger, though. It's like when you see like old photographs of what like Christopher Walken looked like when he was younger. It's like what he was kind of kind of a handsome guy. It's, per- it's pretty funny that you mentioned Christopher Walken because I was actually listening to a podcast. Um, it was the Champs. It's like the, a couple of comedians. And they were talking. They had David Allen Greer on, and he's talking about how he had done um, Shakespeare. Like it was. Oh, I figured there was like a much to do about nothing or something, you know, one of these more obscure Shakespearean plays and just talking about how Christopher Walken was Christopher walking like through, he like, was amazing. Whole... He was amazing at Shakespeare. Really? It was great. Yeah. 
which I thought was hilarious. I would just love to hear him. Like, yeah, just I'd like to. I would like to hear Christopher Walken do Hamlet. It's <laughs> right? Just, oh, it'd be so great. Oh man, that's giving me so many ideas. <laughs> but uh, is are there any other actors that we kind of missed? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I come on, like, God, Tobolowski. Yeah, Stephen Tobolowski, baby, in his most. I think career defining role. Yeah, and and this is an actor that's been in over 50 60 films. I mean, this is an actor that's been in so much. And just your your classic, you know, like a uh, character actor. I mean, he's just going to play, you know, just play play a role and uh you'll like, "Hey, I've seen him before. I'll see you know, I I think I recognize that guy." Right. When, with with most uh with most actors like him, but Stephen Tobolowski, you you see him and you're like, oh, that's fucking Ned Ryerson right there. You know, needle nose Ned, Ned, Ned the head. Ned come on, Bing, <laughs> Chase Bing. Western High. <laughs> um, God, he's so great. And what what a role. I mean, just to just to be that that annoying and so kind of endearing. You know, right, just yeah. I, I just I love I love Needle Ned. Um, <laughs> I dated your sister. <laughs> you I dated your sister Patty until you told me not to. Uh, got the shingles real bad. Almost didn't graduate. Oh man, Bing! <laughs> hey, what are you guys doing later? Uh, something else. I'd love to stay here and talk to you, but I'm not going to. Uh, just, just oh, it, it's it's so rich. Just some of the you know the the lines that he said, and then the what. Watch that first step. It's a doozy, oh, and, the, and the gesture with his hand, with his mm-hmm. finger, and the laughter that yeah. was just so perfect. Uh, God, he, yeah, Stephen Tobolowski, just love, love him so much as Ned Ryerson. I just want to say, needle nose Ned and Ned the head, just repeatedly now. <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. Uh, so yeah. great, and he. All, uh, I know we we did mention him. In the prestige episode we did because Yeah, you're he you're, was Sammy he was Sammy Jenkins. Uh, Sammy Jenkins, yeah. He was gonna Memento. Uh, Memento was gonna be your number three until you said, No, I'm gonna do yeah, the prestige. Last minute. <laughs> and we would have had a little connection, you know, um for Stephen Tobolowski as Sammy Jenkins into Ned Ryerson. I will do a callback as well to uh the episode I did with Tom Booker. He I can't remember the specific story because it's been so many podcasts ago. By the way, this is episode fifty-one. If you if you didn't, I just did fifty. Hey, my number fifty last week. So they're kind of a big deal. Kind of kind of a big deal. But um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, he had some type of story. Tom Booker said, you know, Tobolowski was great. I forget the actual context. I'll have to go back and listen to that podcast. But he definitely um, met him and worked with him and said he was amazing. So good. Thought that was kind of cool. Plus, go back and listen to that episode. It's good. Listeners, audience, everybody. Yourself, if you haven't. Everybody, listen to it. After you listen to this one, go back and listen <laughs> right. to that one. Is there any other acting um, that you want to call out? I I wish I had done research to find out if the guy that plays the psychiatrist is anybody. Ah, uh, damn it. I'm glad you brought that up because that guy was so perfect, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. But He's definitely been in something else. He kind of looks like, is it Anthony Weiner? A little bit. Like he's almost got this a similar facial structure. To Anthony, Anthony Weiner. Weiner is that the politician dude? Yeah, the guy that like, okay. would send the dick pics. <laughs> the dick pics. Uh, I think he's in rotten away in jail right now. Anthony Weiner. I think he did something else. 
right. like maybe to like I don't know. I'm not going to get like in a political thing, but yeah, I think he did something else that got his butt in jail. Something he was responsible for, like some emails he had were that actually that's how they uncovered some of these like Hillary Clinton emails was because of the or whole didn't in, uncover the investigation. You know, well, no, the investigation yeah. into him and oh. his whole oh okay. thing. Un, that's what like that's where they discovered some of the uh, discrepancies with the Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. emails scenario. <laughs> ironically yeah. but yeah that the psychiatrist was great that yeah. was pretty funny he was like whoa he's like completely overwhelmed but yeah and then he's like we should we should meet again <laughs> we should meet again tomorrow and it's like is what tomorrow's not good it's like come on is that not good for you yeah <laughs> so love that and there were a couple of other actors in the film that had been in a few you know that had been in a few other other movies but uh, i mean we, we 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 covered the the principal uh performances i would say all right, let's delve into the writing, I suppose. Okay. And uh, let's see. So I think Danny Rubin came up with the story and mm-hmm. has also shares a writing credit with Harold Ramis. Um, I think that the original idea for the script mentioned that, okay, so that was going to be, he had this idea that this would last for 10,000 years. And what I thought was kind of an interesting um, storytelling method that he wanted to go with was to actually start off in the middle of this loop like, yeah, already. Like this loop. loop has already been going on, which I thought we, thought that was a cool opportunity. Uh, but you know, the way luckily it worked out really well that they actually did the film. But I'm kind of now curious what would that film like? I think it would have been a little bit. It's a lot riskier of a move. But I'll tell you, it wouldn't have made seventy plus million dollars in the box office if they would have went that route. I mean, yeah. Um, it just I, I think because I mean it had moderate you know moderate success, but I think a lot of it did you know stem from the word of mouth. It does have a more traditional act structure. If you start in the loop, I mean, you, I think you do kind of run the risk of alienating people that wouldn't necessarily understand yeah. it. I mean, this movie still confused a lot of people, which is fascinating because it seems pretty, pretty obvious, but because of the fact that they, it doesn't have like a Hollywood cliche where you see him get cursed or yeah. either there's no, there's no inciting incident in, in that sense that leads to this. The inciting incident is the, the act itself that boom, you know, he's repeating this day. It's never, ever explained why. Originally, they were going to have him be cursed by an ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that's stupid. That's, which I'm glad they. Yeah, that's that's Hollywood. I mean, that's that's literally like we got to make this we got to make this more obvious to to the average you know the average uh, movie ticket you know person. I was glad though that they made the decision not to really ever. Do, they never delved into the mechanics of why this was happening or the any of that, which I think. I'm surprised that it actually worked that well. Yeah. It feels like today people are always asked, you know, I mean, when I'm reading on Reddit or something about a film or a TV show, you know what I mean? People are always asking, like, why why is this happening? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's always the why. And this film doesn't answer that question, but I don't feel like it's I it doesn't feel important. It doesn't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't come out and literally tell you why this is happening. I mean, that's and that's why like there some of the beauty when you when we get into the themes and everything that if if you are a, a spiritual person in any capacity, you know, uh it doesn't matter whatever your the type of faith you have, I think 
maybe maybe it doesn't come through with the first viewing, but if you watch this a couple times, I think it's like, oh, oh, I get this. Yeah. I, I see what the what what's what's really happening here. But yeah, I mean the the movie at no time ever tells you, hey, this is what we're doing, and which which I from a writing standpoint was really which was really a very interesting take on it, certainly in that era. Definitely, I think uh, obviously, I think I was eleven in nineteen ninety three, and I until later. It wasn't until I think I was in my twenties that I really grasped the other the significance of this um, in terms of, I guess the philo- the philosophy of it, the of this being. You know, it's such a lighthearted. You know what I mean? It's a very even. I guess we could even say in terms of the cinematography, this is a pretty. You know what I mean? It's, it's a pretty bright film Mm -hmm. you know what i mean there's a lot of exterior days daylight scenes there's not a lot of dark you know smoky lens or anything like that this is pretty overall a bright film Mm -hmm. and so i don't think i realized quite the the emotional weight and impact of what this would be like to have to relive this day over and over and over until much later on when i really started to appreciate the film for that element of it Mm mm-hmm which I think is pretty impressive for something to be so like a, f- a funny yet thought provoking sort of relatively mainstream Hollywood fare. You know, it's not often that you see that. And especially the risks that they took. And like I said, like we just talked about in terms of not going into exposition of what's exactly going on or what the mechanics of it are. I mean, they barely even mentioned that it, I think in one scene that it all has to start over at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a really, really intelligent film. And it, it, it's for me, I mean, I have it on my list because it's my favorite comedy that I've ever seen. And uh, for my top five, I kind of have this kind of little genre thing. So my favorite, my favorite classical film or like a classic, my favorite foreign film. This is my favorite comedy. And what where this movie succeeds is the fact that it, it's not putting itself in like the comedic bubble that it has to follow certain um, tropes and things like it, it, it's, it just happens to be a comedy, you know, that a lot of stuff that happens in here is funny, but there's just the, the story and the writing is just so rich that it, that it offers a lot. I mean, there's a lot of content that's going on so much uh, in the sense of, or within, within the world where every day is the same, but it, it's just, it's, it, it's just really, really well constructed, and um, uh, the on, on the writing aspect is it, it just it's different, and certainly was different than other things that were happening for high concept films in 1993. Anyway, I think something that's I don't know. There's so many cho- things that I'm wondering: is this writing or is this improv? Um, in in the film, like for example, when he Phil walks by the old the old homeless man, and he pretends like he's kind of like patting his chest, like he's kind of looking for his wallet, and, like, and then he keeps on walking, <laughs> and he keeps on walking, does that several times. Uh, so like, I'm wondering, is that is that improv or is that in the script? I haven't read the script. Have you have you read the script by chance? I've never actually read the screenplay uh, of this film. Now that I think about that, I'm, I'm, right now I'm just um, I'm going back into my little mind vault of the screenplays I have, and I don't believe. I've ever read this screenplay. Now I'm going to have to go home and look and find out if I actually do have this and I'm completely lying because I thought I, I'm pretty sure I taught this in grad school, this film. Um, 
but I may have just taught the film and not the not the screenplay for this. There were some other interesting moments. Um, so there's one. Okay, so whenever he's gorging himself <laughs> on all the food, for example, he takes a drink of coffee directly from the coffee carafe, <laughs> which I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is intentional, but do you remember the uh, coffee and cigarettes, the Jim Jarmusch? Have you seen that? I know it. I haven't seen that, but I know Coffee and Cigarettes very well, but I just haven't actually watched it. So you'll have to watch Bill Murray. <laughs> it's a great scene It's in that film. It's Bill Murray with the RZA and the Jizza from Wu-Tang Clan, mm-hmm. and they're talking about coffee. And they're at a coffee shop ha- having a you know deep conversation together, and Bill Murray is working at the diner. So I'm wondering if the, that was like, I'm wondering if there's a like intertextuality. Is, is this a callback? that Jarmusch is doing to this kind of moment because he does the same thing, but it's a different style. Like he Mm -hmm. drinks, he straight up just drinks the coffee out of the carafe, Mm -hmm. which is, and that's a fucking hilarious scene too. Cause they're like talking about, they're having this conversation of they're drinking herbal tea and Bill Murray's drinking coffee. And they're talking about how, you know, this coffee can cause serious delirium and all this stuff. And like, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And they like ask him, are you a bug Bill Murray? But in their Wu Tang accent, right. it's fucking hilarious. I think it's the the Jizza, no, the Rizza. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Who? who okay, you know how he's yeah. got. He's got a very distinctive, very voice. Well, he's got kind of like, like New a, York. I mean, it's, I it's just I don't even know, but he's got that yeah, kind of exactly. Like, yep, that's it right there. Like his tongue yeah. is not reaching his teeth a little bit. You know, <laughs> it's it's kind of how he talks. So, are you a bug, Bill Murray? <laughs> Made me laugh. Um, the, God, there's feels like there's another moment. Um, which I think actually this was ad libbed is whenever he does the he creeps out Ned Ryerson by holding oh. him. I don't know what you're doing later, <laughs> but can you call him sick? <laughs> Finally, after however many years, he figured out how to get rid of Ned. <laughs> well, I guess the, then eventually he does end up buying all of the policies, like all everything. of the policies. But what I just want to go back to that little that little exchange between him, uh, between Ned and uh, Phil, is w- the the awkward embrace is so great. And if that's ad lib, that's that's awesome. But the way that Steven Tobolowsky just like like awkwardly runs and slinks away, just like <laughs> where he's you could like his whole body is tense and he's like yeah, you know, just the way yeah. that he runs away is so great. And that's why, like, again, just. Something that works so well in this movie is the the the, the performances, I and mean, nothing is over the top or like hokey. And there there aren't any like you know fart jokes. I mean the the humor in it is just really fun, like people interaction. I think maybe my favorite aspect of the writing, what they where they really did such an amazing job was the emotional moments with the the homeless man that he was trying to save that was really that was spectacular well i mean yeah the that's what i mean that's what brings you into that really that like the I'm not going to say the the final act but that's what takes phil to his you know like the the next emotional journey for him you know to kind of use the like the aa uh you know uh grant me the serenity <laughs> right. to accept the things that i you know um it, it was really like that moment, you know, like after him not being able to save him, no matter what he did, where he finally gave 
he just gave in to like, all right, I'm just going, I'm going to be a better person without any sake of reward, you know? Um, and that's, and that's when, and that's when it switches over. That's when it, that, that's where, I mean, people, some people think of this movie as a rom-com and if you go in from the, you know, the, the act that, you know, well, you know, he is trying to pursue Rita and then at the end he gets her, you could then yeah, fine. Okay. You can go ahead and make that case that it's a rom-com, but I mean, if you're, if you're just looking at it from, but if you, I, I prefer to look at it as, you know, the, the idea of becoming a better human being and what, what steps this person did to do it. It's, it's not his exchanges with Rita it, because I mean, she, he finally gets her by completely giving up on her uh, and being completely selfless. But the, the emotional arc that really gets him is, is that homeless guy, at least for, in, in my opinion, and I can be completely wrong, but that's, that's just the way that I look at it as when he wakes up and all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be a good person now. And again, I guess the use of the montage with that whole, the, many attempts that he made to revive him and, and help him out. I don't know. Something about that is just very, very powerful mm-hmm. emotionally. And I mean, it really kind of hits me, especially, I don't know, when I'm, I guess in my older, as I've aged, I've gotten more, I don't know, more aware, I guess, of my own mortality, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe that's why it has such resonance for me. But yeah, that really, I thought that was really well done. And I think there's a little bit more emotional weight. And I don't know if this was in the script or if this is Bill Murray, but he refers to him as father and pop. I mean, those that's that, you know, um, that, I mean, that's, that's how he, how he talks to the, to the homeless guy. He either calls him father, or he calls him pop. And it's not, you know, some blank identity. You know, he, he is giving him a name in some capacity. It's interesting. Actually, I just had this thought too about, I mean, the way that, I mean, we mentioned how it starts off with him sort of fucking with him by pretending that he's going to give him money and then not. I mean, most people don't even acknowledge, you know what I mean? In, in a day-to-day, people don't really acknowledge the homeless at all, you know? Yeah. Very rarely to pe- you know, it's kind of like an uncomfortable exist. you know what I mean? I definitely always feel uncomfortable whenever I'm in my car and I'm like, you know, people are on the medians asking for money, which is frequently the case here in Austin. Yeah. It's just like, you're a, you're a non-person, you're a non-entity, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, something about that just sort of bothers me as well. And again, maybe that's, again, me approaching my mortality or being more aware of others. And it's just, I don't know, it's a problem that, you know, you can't, like that same scenario, it's like, you can't, you can't save everyone. Yeah. And and that's what the nurse even tells him, you know, you can't some it's just some people's time to go. Yeah. Which is I think a hard thing to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Especially, yeah, I mean the the punishment for this guy is he gets to die every or not punishment, but the reality is for for the the homeless guy is he dies every day. Every day, you know, is you know, he experiences death every, you know, over and over and over again for as long as you know Bill Murray is in this in this loop. And it sucks that it happens to be a homeless person. Yeah. Um, anything else about the writing that you kind of want to call out? I have a bunch of sort of miscellaneous thematic sort of things that I think are, have aspects. Oh, I'm, I'm that, more than ready to talk about those things. But the, the final thing I'll just mention is from the most basic level of the writing. And that's the, the dialogue. I mean, the, the lot, the, 
the the dialogue on the page is perfect and whether you know how much of that is ad-libbed or how much of it was in the actual script i don't know you can go ahead and i think the credit somewhere goes between the 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 three principal people um that you know behind its creation with a Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis and of course Bill Murray doing doing his type I mean the the final I think everything that I've um heard and read and uh, listened to on commentaries is like the final line of the film was purely like you know uh, ad-libbed by Bill Murray as well so I'll, we'll delve into some miscellaneous thematic elements of the film one sort of not one sort of just trivia thing is that so I was looking up what a groundhog was and it's apparently the same thing as a woodchuck which or a ground squirrel or like relative of the marmot okay so it was like for some reason i was thinking okay what's the difference between a hedgehog and a groundhog and they're wildly different wildly different. yeah yeah but i i was like what the fuck is it what is a groundhog even what is it you know i don't know what the difference between a um uh, a groundhog and a beaver or no a badger Badger, beaver. I don't know. Maybe I know what a groundhog day, a groundhog is. Um, what is the thing that was Winnie the Pooh? I think is what my question is. That the thing that whistles, the little. Oh, he was a. Was he a mole? I don't know. That's it was that's, either a mole or a beaver. He must have been a beaver because he had the big teeth, and that was the whole. Shunny. <laughs> um. So I think I think Winnie the Pooh has kind of like cursed me into like not really understanding what ground animals are. Uh that they're <laughs> all the same to me. But I know the difference between a groundhog and a hedgehog because of Sonic. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Somebody was just cast. Someone was just cast. I, as the I heard Sonic about the this. Hedgehog. I heard about this. Uh I forget. I don't know why I want to say James Marsden, but I think yeah, it was yeah, you're right. Am I right? You're okay. Absolutely I'm, right. I, I, I don't couldn't think of the name. I, like I just it. pull that out of my hat because I don't really or ra- I rarely ever think about that actor at all. Right. Um, so I don't know why he was in my head. Although I think he's fantastic on um um Westworld. Westworld, thank you very much. I was about to call it the leftovers. I'm like, wrong HBO show. <laughs> right. But we were talking about the groundhog. And I I just want to mention like something I'm kind of sad about. I lived up in Pittsburgh for two years when I went to ground school, grad school up there. And I really, really wanted to make an appearance. I really wanted to go up there for uh, for Groundhog Day just to take it in, uh, see what that experience would be like in that. Because Pittsburgh to Punxsutawney is maybe two hours, maybe two and a half hours, depending on uh, the weather. But didn't do it. So kind of kind of cursed myself because I've loved this movie since, you know, I saw it as a, I don't know, 14-year-old kid or whatever I was at the time. And I'd always loved Bill Murray because of Ghostbusters and everything. So everything that he did, I had a scene, even if I don't, even if I didn't truly get the film when I first saw it, I loved it because Bill Murray made me laugh uh, with several different scenes in there but yeah I was, look, I was looking through my notes I, there were some there's some funnier or just kind of random stuff that I wanted to talk about that I didn't cover for example it was whenever he buys Rita a drink so he first learns that her f- favorite drink is sweet vermouth with the a, rocks with a twist with a twist yeah <laughs> and so he orders that in the next 
iteration of that scene and like takes a drink of it <laughs> it's and it's terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of wins which i thought was fucking hilarious and i think the bartender as well at that point kind of shakes his head mm-hmm. as well which i thought was pretty funny but yeah who, who the fuck drinks sweet vermouth anyways like ugh, i believe me, andy mcdowell probably does right that's gotta be yeah who would say that like yeah. that's such an obscure <laughs> it's it's random i'm not a wine person so i any vermouth would make me want to yak but i don't know this sounds really sweet vermouth especially i, I don't know gross <laughs> gross 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 terrible um let's see what else do we have I think one, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, and I don't think that a film like this could get made today in today's Hollywood. I, I've thought about that, but then I think of Ricky Gervais, and when he did the kind of the, the, the God movie that he did yeah, a couple of years ago, and that's another kind of like one of those high concept films. So um, I think that movies like this can be made. I just think that it's almost impossible to make it well again uh to or to make or for it to have this type of sincerity without yeah. it without it feeling jaded right. or like you're 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 preaching something this True. this movie there's so many so many things that you can gain from this movie and there th- this movie offers so many different levels but you never feel like it's it's beating you over the head or it's pandering you or it's doing anything. There's, there's a, there's a sincerity about yeah. this film and I, that I don't think you could recreate or you could make a movie like this again, that would have that there would be, cause you'd have, you'd have actors like Ricky Gervais trying to do something, but Ricky has an agenda and everything that he writes and he's, he's trying to preach something at you, uh, whether your belief system are wrong or there's something, you know, so I don't love Ricky Gervais, but there's, you know, when, when he's doing something, it's, it, it's with a, it's with a very like, you know, blunt instrument that he, that he, that he's using it with. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, I do think that's the appeal of this is it's not heavy handed in its message, but it kind of is, mm-hmm. but without just like beating you over the head with the point, you know what I mean? It's, it makes such a broad point and they don't really focus on the mechanics of it like we discussed um that i think is kind of refreshing and i I feel like they would have like instead of andy mcdowell you know what they cast who they cast like um oh it'd be jennifer lawrence (laughs) uh, yeah good she's in everything uh good call i was gonna say jokingly what's the uh what's her name the um, transformers actress uh i want to call her Megan yeah something. Megan Fox Megan, yeah, Fox Megan Fox I was like Megan Kelly I'm like no that's the journalist <laughs> I bring these things up and then I can never remember who the fuck I'm talking about <laughs> it's too much pressure being on the mic um but uh let's see what else can we delve into uh I want to talk about I mean and there there's so many little we're kind of like in the miscellaneous aspect right yeah, just like for little, sure. themes whatever yeah so miscellaneous, I just love the little bit where things are going well with him and Rita, you know, and they have the snowball fight uh. and, and it's perfect until he finally blows it at the end. But then the next day where they're doing the snowball fight and he's, 
He's like anticipating. And he, yes. he's trying to find the right spot in the snow, trying to figure <laughs> out like, like, I need to make this scene work perfectly. And you right. see him like, and Andy McDowell is just freaking out ever a bit more so. And he's like, I love kids. I want to have a billion of them. Can, hey, are you, you know, can I adopt you? Uh, and he's just getting nuts. And then, yeah, he's just trying to situ- situate himself in the snow. And that was so awkward, that moment. Mm-hmm. I had that in my notes too, as one of kind of the standouts where he's kind of like uh, expecting like the kiss or like, yeah. you know what I mean? He's preparing himself. Uh, so I love that bit. Yeah, and, that was great. And I would, I, I'd hate myself if I if I didn't bring up another one of, and I, it's on my list because every scene is gold. But for me, one of my other favorite moments is when he's going, he's taking uh, this woman to the movies, and they're all dressed in costume. Oh and yes, he's doing that was kind great of, too. He's doing kind of like a Clint Eastwood impression, and then Nancy Taylor walks by, and he's like. It's my old fiance. She doesn't recognize. <laughs> she, she doesn't remember me. <laughs> and I die every time at that scene because just the the reality or like the you know the girl that is with him at the time, like hearing these lines. Uh, that's his old fiance doesn't remember him, but you know, no care. He had, at that point, you know, he had no care in anything that he was doing, but. I, I love I love that scene. That was great for sure. What do you do you remember seeing that character that he was so she was dressed as like a French maid? Yeah. Do you recall seeing her in any other scenes? Because I No. I definitely didn't give it a thorough enough watch to notice that, but I was kind of curious because I was like, you know, kind of an attractive lady. I don't feel like I would have yeah. noticed her. I don't even think she's at the um the party at the end. I don't I don't I don't I think that's just one scene you get her yeah just a random and mm-hmm. the 10,000 or wait the uh so the original idea was 10,000 years mm-hmm. then Harold Ramis was asked and he said oh maybe 10 years and then I think people kind of did a little bit of math or something and and they're like 30 were, some yeah, odd years 30 to 40 years yeah god could you imagine living the same day for 30 years I can't imagine living Even, the same, same yeah. day for a week Ooh, right you know, uh, unless it's a really great day. And that's one of the things that I love about this movie is he's like talking about where he met this girl and that, you know, they had sex on the beach and he's like, why couldn't I have had that day over and over <laughs> and over? Uh, and that's just it is any day, whether and the truth, I mean, he, he's covering Groundhog Day and it's perfect for him because it is his help. You see, he, he starts, he's like, this is my my fourth or his fifth year covering it. You know, pretty soon, you know, like the, the the big big studios are you know going to pass him, you know, are going to pass him over because they don't think he's serious because he's covering this crap. So, what is he punished with? He gets to cover it every day for thirty some odd years. So, I was doing some research, and I had re- I remember watching I think a making or a documentary about Caddyshack and the reference to. Buddhist philosophy, you know, I guess as a as a sort of background yeah. to that story. And it turns out that Harold Ramis's mother, I believe, is a was a Zen Buddhist. So I think that that obviously seeps into this film the idea of I guess the eternal recurrence and sort of working out your you know, until you actually achieve a perfect existence i mean karma i mean the at the in like the buddhist kind of like core i mean this movie right i mean you've got 
there, there is no future, you know, everything, you forget about the past, like, basically, there is only now. And the only way that you're going to get to enlightenment, right, is to, to have your awakening. So to drop your ego, to drop whatever, any type of pretense, uh, the only way that you're going to move on to what is it, nirvana is, is when you have that, that awakening. And like, so yeah, I mean, there, there's, you can, and that's what's fascinating from that from that aspect is you can. There are Buddhist principles from this movie that you can look at, or at the the other side of the equation. And I, I apologize if you're going somewhere, and I'm kind of taking no, over on it. Go ahead. But even like on the the, the Catholic perspective, I mean, this is straight purgatory right. as well. Yeah. So, you know, the before you can move on, you have to you have to rid yourself of any you know all of your your your, your previous sins. So. I didn't know when I was having, I was having a very similar conversation with um, uh, like the Dean of admissions uh, at Pepperdine uh, when she asked me what my favorite film was. And I, I'm talking to her about this and I don't know if I know, or if I did know I've, I've since forgotten because I can't remember if I knew that Pepperdine was a, like a religious school before I applied there, but I got in <laughs> to Pepperdine like, um, um, based on the conversation that I had with Groundhog Day. And it really, it comes from like that spiritual like angle in that. Yeah. I mean, the film, depending on whatever principle that you want to use, I mean, there, whether, whatever your religious denomination, whatever, whatever type of faith, there's something that you can get from it. And, but yeah, the, I think for Harold Ramis and as he, he's talked about it, it, he has a very strong connection to, the, the Buddhist uh, philosophies of it. And I think the original screenplay or was like the 10,000 has some type of relation in uh Buddhist faith. I don't know. I, 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 I I'm, that I might be completely making up, but I think I've read that somewhere. I don't know. Um, I think it was interesting that this film stayed so light because, you know, if you were to live if you actually live through this scenario, I mean, I feel like ultimately you would sort of lose in many respects, sort of your humanity. Like you would, you would view morality completely differently on a different time scale where nothing is ever changing. Right. Then, you know what I mean? If there are no consequences, the, then you're, you know, you could do whatever you want. Really, you could do whatever, a lot of horrible things. Like you, mm-hmm. could, you could become a murderer, a rapist. Any type of horrible scenario could have been played out. Yeah, the worst thing we see him do is he steals a groundhog and uh, and uh, he robs a uh, and like an armored truck. Yeah, right. I mean, that's really at the core. Those are like his two main horrible sin. Of course, and you know, killing himself hundreds of times, but to other people, yeah, like. Stealing a groundhog and yeah, stealing money. I think that's so. And then having a, a little train dodge as well, which was uh, the that little scene where he he's got Rick to come in and the other guy where they're being chased by the cops. So he ran over the the mailbox. But yeah, you could be you could go from go with the angle of just being horrible. But I'm glad it didn't go that route. But I mean, it would be an entirely different movie. But in a real life scenario, if you could live, if there are no consequences, and you could do anything you wanted. Yeah, I'm I, I, I fear uh, what what some people would do with that type of power. 
or curse or you know the the time scale too that he was on it's like eventually you would just become so completely bored mm-hmm. i think this is an interesting thing to look at because i know personally i have always had this fascinate like i've always wanted to be immortal uh you know be mm-hmm. a a little g god and live forever right but then when you start to really unpack that and uncover what that would really mean and how insignificant uh, human beings would be to you if you were the only immortal being around and you would sort just drift like your connection to your humanity would ultimately wouldn't be the same it would be something mm-hmm. totally different and you would be sort of indifferent to all of like any type of morality or purpose or you know what i mean yeah that's to me that's the most interesting philosophical question or theme to to delve into is that i think you know there's been other films that have kind of gotten to maybe interview with the vampire um has kind of tackled that a little bit but i don't know if there's highlander (laughs) there we go there can be only one (laughs) but i think that's a super interesting element of that and i'm kind of curious how that would really play out and just thinking about that thinking about that to me is just a fascinating angle to take yeah um how does that change how does your perspective as being sort of immortal change who you are what you care about what you value in life right and i think bill murray in one of the the lines is like well i'm a god i'm not the god but i'm a god or i'm not a god i I don't think but that's just it so there he he goes through that phase right where he he can do anything he wants and which is drink an entire carafe of coffee, eat a whole plate of, uh, of pastries, smoke cigarettes, not care about anything, be rude to people, be, you know, uh, be very, very uh, brash. So you, you get a sense of, you, you see a little bit within a, of this film where they're kind of tackling that, but the, the idea of immortality and what, how that could, how that could affect you. But if you're, if you're, if you're stuck to do it forever, would 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 you always do bad things, or would you one day would you get bored of doing yeah. evil? Yeah. So I mean, because you can't go. I mean, you can't really go insane because you're you're just going to be waking up and doing the same. So what what is an infinite amount of insanity look like? And I, I don't know. Um, maybe it maybe, but <laughs> uh, that's you know, it's really funny this sort of comes full circle because I was just, you mentioned Highlander and I was thinking, okay, so there's an episode of uh, the show Aqua Teen Hunger Force and they have this doll that is voiced by David Cross and the doll is like a kind of similar character to this Phil Connors character. He's really dark, mm-hmm. but even worse, like he's totally jaded, completely jaded and essentially like dares one of the other characters, Shake, to, to kill him. And he's like, go ahead, man, do it. Do your worst. So he goes to like throw him off the roof, and he's mentioning, you know, you're gonna be like the Highlander. You you you're you're gonna want to die, but you won't be able to. <laughs> uh, and he like chunks him off the roof. That was fucking hilarious. Though. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a lot else to say about this film, um, um, other than to chastise you comically for bringing a rom com on the show. Hey, hey. Technically. I mean, technically yeah, again, a rom-com again you can make the case it's a rom-com <laughs> i'm not gonna deny that you know what i i like a good rom-com uh this one to me 
if it if it's a rom com, it's probably the best rom com. <laughs> yeah, true. I uh, will agree with that. Or I, I was about to run down my list of my favorite rom coms, but uh, <laughs> and I think it's a pretty distinguished and and good list. But this movie for me at the at the end, it, I think of it as a just it's the smartest comedy I think I've ever seen, and. It's it's a whole lot more than just a dude reliving the same day over and over again. Yeah, and if you, if you if you've passed the movie over because of the fact that you, you heard what the concept was, go out and watch it. Yeah, because absolutely watch it. It's hilarious. It, it, it's hilarious, and you might learn you might learn a thing or two. But you, yeah, you just have to watch it for Bill Murray because he's he. It, it's his absolute best. It's it's his pinnacle. This will also be probably one of the only films we watch that has a happy ending or we discuss at least i don't know now now <laughs> do not bring any more happy endings i don't no know happy endings on this show bro yeah stay tuned it's for all dark my, my number two pick which would be <laughs> i don't know man i i have no idea uh i don't know where i'm gonna go from here so are we are we on is my number three next are we no we far? did your we number did, three my yeah. number two okay. yeah we're on yeah so all right, no country for old men. No country. Yeah. So definitely does not have a happy ending. Definitely exactly. not. And you kill your hero halfway through the movie. It's kind of like Psycho, or three quarters of the way into the movie. Any final groundhog thoughts before we wrap up for this week? No, thank you again for having me. Let me uh, nerd out a little bit about talking about this movie. Anytime I can talk about Groundhog Day is a good day for me. Yeah. So. Well, definitely. I mean, I, I was, you know, prod- poking a little bit with the rom-com and, and stuff and the happy ending, but oh, dude, I, I mean, I didn't even give it a second <laughs> thought. I think that this is definitely, like I said, this is one of the, this and My Cousin Vinny, <laughs> I think are two oh, of the most rewatchable films for me that I could just, I can, you know, I can pick it up halfway through and it's fine. Like, I'm not worried about it. And I can always watch it. It's one that I never, ever get tired of. Well, fortunately Ironic, for you, it's probably going to be on TBS tomorrow, probably. Uh, it's definitely, <laughs> I looked, it's coming on like the 6th and 7th because I was trying to search my cable to see when this came on again. Yeah. Um, so it, it will be available. I forget what network, but the 6th and 7th, it's going to be airing for sure. Yeah. My Cousin Vinny, man, that's, that's, that movie is so great. I, I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Good one. We should... We should do a My Cousin Vinny episode, actually. That's that, an... Fine. Uh, Marissa Tomei won an Oscar for that movie. I mean, it's we can do like the <laughs> Oscar-winning... Uh, uh, so it's that street cred. Yeah. Oh, but, my God. Uh, oh, never mind. You don't watch Hamman's Ham Tale, do you? Have you ever seen I it? I have not watched it yet. Marissa Tomei was in one of the episodes... Com- I didn't recognize her until... Ah, interesting. Until like, they had like an extreme close-up on her. I'm like... Holy cow, like that's Marissa Tomei. Nice. Well, we will be back soon to tackle No Country for Old Men. Our Andrew will be rejoining us at some point down the road, so stay tuned for news of that, and uh, we will sign off for this week. So, sayonara. <laughs>